Welcome to season four. Our theme is themes. We're going to spend seven episodes digging into how to understand your client's work better. You know, being highly present in the moment is essential in play therapy. But when you shift to that analytical side of your brain and try to capture what happened for your progress notes, what do you write? How do you talk to your parents about the client's work while maintaining a safe space for their child's work? And probably the biggest question for new practitioners is, how do you look like a mental health professional when you spend a therapy session playing with kids? Oh sure, we know that play therapy works, but parents, supervisors, and other stakeholders may need more than that. And honestly, I need something more tangible than that. If you want to understand your clients better, sound intelligent when explaining play and therapy, and guide older clients to deeper wound healing, then you are going to love season four. This season, we are talking about themes in play therapy. Play themes give us a concrete way to conceptualize what the client is showing us, how they are progressing in treatment, and what needs they are trying to meet. It also gives you a framework for catching all the information that your client is tossing at you. So let's learn more about play themes together. Welcome to episode 20. This season, as I mentioned, we're going to talk about play themes. And today, the play themes I want to explore are around safety and security and protection. Now, I'm starting with this one on purpose because it is really our most basic need. If a client feels unsafe, then little else matters except survival. And if it's about survival, even basic needs don't matter as much at this point. This is going to inform your treatment goals. The first thing you're going to want to work on is establishing trust, creating a safe place for the work to happen. So if a client has ever had this need threatened, it's going to activate what I call a core need. Now, over the course of this season of the podcast, we're going to talk about 25 or so themes but I like to group them into four categories that I call core needs. I write about this a lot in chapter four of my book, Creative Play Therapy with Adolescents and Adults. So if you want to learn more and get more details, that would be a really good place to go. But the reason I've done that is because I can remember four things when I'm in session with a client, and it's a lot harder for me to remember 25 things. So everything today is going to center around that first core need of safety and security. And this category is always the most pressing need. So if you're wondering where the work should go first, it's, it's always around this one. If you are wondering about how to respond to the client's play, make sure your responses are addressing safety and security if you're seeing this play theme. So let's talk about them. I want to talk about safety and security and protection today and explain the differences. So let's start with safety. Safety is the need to be safe physically and emotionally. If you're working with a client that has experienced or witnessed physical or emotional violence, abuse, frightening oppression, if they've been physically overpowered or in any other ways had their safety threatened, 
then you are likely to see play around the theme of safety. It's that need to be safe. Security is related, but it's not the same. So with a security, it's the need to be free from danger. So play around security themes often includes fear. If you're seeing fear, it is very likely that security is a theme for this client. So the fear is that basic needs won't be met. So this can be real or perceived, but it's still the threat of danger to basic needs. So food insecurity, threats of harm, financial instability, and anything that risks food, shelter, clothing, and transportation is going to prompt this play theme. I think that we're going to see lots of security themes, play themes emerging from this coronavirus pandemic because there's a lot of fear around it. And a lot of that fear is that we are in danger. And so we have this need to be free from danger. And that's that security theme. The last theme I want to talk about today is the theme of protection. So we have a need for other people and things to provide safety. Some things are supposed to keep us safe. Things like parents, teachers, the police, our homes, God, our bodies. And when these things or these people don't, it's likely that you're going to see play themes around protection. Now, it doesn't matter whether it's willfully not keeping them safe or whether these people or things just weren't able to do that. It can still bring out this play behaviors around protection because we all have this need for safety that other people and things provide. We want and we have a need to be protected. So the important thing to remember about safety and security play themes is that uh, this is an area that needs repair. The child you are working with may be trying to shore up security through fortifying a safe place for the baby animal. The adult you are working with may be creating rows of boundaries in her sand tray. Whether the need is real or perceived doesn't matter for the client. It's the same core need that needs to be met. So you may have an adult who is uh, hoarding, as an example, who is in a place where they can uh, provide all the food that they need excessively. They have plenty to provide for that need. And yet they compulsively buy more food because this need has been activated, but it hasn't been repaired. And so um, that behavior is just about shoring up that need. The way that you help address this repair work is through your reflections and through this space that you create in the playroom that is safe. You might say things like, this is a safe place. Or, you can help the baby zebra stay safe now. Or, it's very important that the soldier watches the bad guy. Your words are helping to fortify the unsafe places, the threats to security, and the protection that is needed. And your words also recognize the reality that this client wasn't safe, that the threat was real. And that those people and things that should have protected didn't. What you don't want to do is try to make the client feel better, which kind of avoids allowing them the space to do the work that they need to do. 
sometimes the work that they are facing is what is unacceptable. So the themes we talked about today were safety and security and protection. Back by popular demand, Rachel Sellers offers summaries of the literature that shape our profession. This season, she has selected seven essential books for every play therapist library. Rachel works in private practice and is experienced with children and adolescents using play therapy. Let's hear which book she has selected this week. Hi, everyone. Welcome to season four. We're so glad you're here. This season, instead of synthesizing and sharing research articles, I'm going to pivot and talk about books instead. These books have shaped my perspective of play therapy, trauma, and human growth and development. So let's dive right in. Today, I'm sharing a book called The Deepest Well, Healing the Long-Term Effects of Childhood Adversity, written by Dr. Nadine Burke Harris. Dr. Harris is a pediatrician and the founder of the Center of Youth Wellness in San Francisco. She was also most recently named California's Surgeon General. I first learned about her when I began looking more closely at ACEs, or Adverse Childhood Experiences, and how ACEs impact mental and physical health. In her book, she describes her experience of discovering the research on ACEs and the proven link between toxic stress in childhood and poor health outcomes. She describes learning about the ACEs study and her shock that this information had yet, and still really hasn't, become common knowledge to the world. One of my favorite parts of the book was her perspective on why the ACEs study isn't common knowledge yet, and I want to share what she has to say. First, she explains that it could be a misconception with the ACE study itself and the popular belief that increased health risks are only due to behavior. She states, popular thinking goes that if you live in poverty or have a rough childhood, you inevitably cope by drinking and smoking and doing other risky things that damage your health. But if you're smart and strong, you rise above what you were born and raised with and leave the bad things behind. At first, This construct seemed to make sense, but remember, at one point, it made perfect sense that the earth was flat. She is fierce and feisty, and I love it. What she is saying is this, even if a person doesn't engage in any health-damaging behaviors as a means to cope with trauma, a person with a higher number of ACEs is still more likely to develop heart and liver disease and even cancer during their lifetime. The second reason this stuff isn't common knowledge yet, she says, is because it's scary and emotional stuff. And she's right, it is. She says, it's possible that we marginalize the impact of trauma on health because it does apply to us. It's hard, after all, to accept that there might be biological implications that persist, whether people are sinners or saints. Maybe it's just easier to see it in other zip codes. I think those words are profound. Sometimes when medical doctors write books, all of the medical jargon can make it difficult to understand, but not this book. Dr. Harris is a gifted writer and a good storyteller. 
She concisely explains how toxic stress affects the body in a way that those of us without a degree in medicine can understand. Though the beginning of the book explains more about the ACEs study and the neurophysiological impact of trauma, the final third of the book is dedicated to offering ideas and solutions about how we can start to heal our world. A good primer to this book is listening to her TED Talk called How Childhood Trauma Affects Health Across a Lifetime. Give it a Google search. You won't regret that you did. Today, we talked about the play themes of safety, security, and protection. Even though they are closely related, they aren't the same themes, but I like to group them into this one category that I call safety and security, and then tease out whether it is a physical or emotional threat, safety, a risk to meeting basic needs, security, or a lack of people or things that protect those needs, protection. If a client is expressing these themes, your role is to reflect the content around safety, security, and protection as the client attempts their repair work. In client-centered work, the relationship is an important avenue for this to happen. So you may need to spend extra time establishing trust. Now, when it comes to progress notes, treatment summaries, and caregiver consultations, You can conceptualize the client's work through these themes instead of specific play behaviors. So instead of describing the child fortifying a safe place for, say, the baby zebra toy, you can describe it in terms of safety, security, or protection play themes, whichever the child seemed to be expressing. So this week, look for play that expresses a need for safety and security with your clients. A big thank you for the kind words to those who've taken time to review our little podcast. I'm so glad that you find it helpful and inspiring. For those of you that haven't done so yet, please join these gracious reviewers by taking two minutes to give us five stars or whatever you think is honest, but those are our favorites. Also write a sentence or two to let us know what you liked best in this podcast. This helps others find us when they search. You can also share it on your social media, too. I hope this episode helped you better understand and conceptualize what your clients tell you through the themes of their play. Let us know what you thought. Contact us at playtherapypodcast at gmail.com and visit our website at playtherapypodcast.org. You can also follow me on Instagram at playtherapy with Dr. Denise. Remember, I don't have an E at the end of Denise. Thanks to all you subscribers in our playful tribe. We wouldn't do this without you or the incredible talents of book reviewer Rachel Sellers, audio engineer Sheldon Clark, production assistant Kara Allison, and songwriter Sarah Beth Go. This podcast is funded through the Lipscomb University Center for Play Therapy and Expressive Arts. I'm your host, Dr. Denise Thomas. Now go play, create, and heal.